Hi, everyone. This is Danny, and welcome to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we host conversations for healing and change. This season, we are focusing on mental health and healing. I hope these episodes are both eye-opening and give you a chance to reflect on your own journeys. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Carrie Ann Appleton is an empowerment coach and a teacher in every sense of the word. In this conversation, we talk about how to find alignment with our authentic selves and all the challenges we undergo in that process. She gets super vulnerable. She talks about childhood wounds and all the tools she's using to work with them. She shares about a recent experience with gaslighting and manipulation and all the self-growth that has come from that. And I think that's what I respect the most about Carrie Ann. She's a coach who not only teaches, but she leads by example. I love this conversation. I feel like I grew from it. I learned a lot. We talked about leaving our comfort zone, what change looks like, how to grieve your old identity to step into your new one. We talk about the cultural differences of dating in Brazil, where she's currently living. And at the end, she talks about how we are born on this planet to grow and expand, which I absolutely love. And I think you will really enjoy this conversation as well. Here is our episode with Carrie Ann Appleton. Hi, Carrie Ann. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Hi, Danny. I'm very excited to be here. I've listened to the podcast. It's been really insightful to see so many different guests in conversations because I love hearing people's stories. Mm -hmm. So it was really exciting that you invited me to come on to share my story. Oh, that's really nice. Thanks for checking out the podcast beforehand. Yeah, of course. Where are you coming to us from? I'm coming to you from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, but I'm from the United States, from Colorado. Nice. You are our first not first international guest, but first interview with somebody who is not in the States at the time. Mm, okay, nice. How did we connect again? We originally connected through Chelsea. Okay. I think in the Orbis house, you were doing, actually, I think maybe one of the first times I connected with you was through a Soul Stories activity. I had yes. just come from like a hip hop dance class. And Paul asked me, hey, do you want to go to this Soul Stories thing? I was like, okay. I was literally sweaty and on like dance attire, spandex. (laughs) And I show up and I'm supposed to bare my soul (laughs) to a group of people that I know all of like three people in the room. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Was that that Paul Bindle? Yep. Paul Bindle. I still have a great photo. You guys had this stack of like carpets. And there's like oh, Brent, yeah. Chelsea, Paul, and I all sitting on those, those rugs. And I have a photo that I still remember that day. It was awesome. Oh, man. You should send that photo to us. I, I will. Think she, totally. That would be awesome. Chelsea would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we hit it off pretty quick when we connected just because of our mutual interests. And I think we'll get into that. First, maybe introduce like what you do and who you are and what you're passionate about. And um. And we'll go back from there. Like, how did you get there? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name is obviously Carrie Ann. And um, there's a lot of facets to who I am. But I think the biggest thing I want to say is that I'm a believer of change and making really positive, conscious, healthy changes in the world. And so I think about, like, what's my why? And it's around 
really helping people to really align with themselves. And when they are on a journey of coming into alignment with themselves and coming into alignment with the earth, you know, with the universe, with everything around them, then they can start that journey or that process helps them to start healing and feel more healthy and really live healthier lives and become more conscious. That's really what I'm aiming to complete or to accomplish or to do. I don't know what word I would use to say I'm still navigating through that in the world. That's kind of like my mission and my passion. How I get there is still unfolding. So currently I'm an empowerment coach for women and helping women work through, again, that same thing of coming and meeting their most authentic selves. Because when you're living a life from your most authentic self, you're living a life with so much more joy and truth and honesty, and you're healing and you're conscious. And so that's currently what I do. And what does that look like? How does that show up in terms of like the type of work you do to help women get there? Three ways that women can work with me. It's like one-on-one coaching. So they come in and they're going through any kind of challenge or crisis. It could be they've been trying to get into a certain industry or find a certain job and they're struggling. So it's not about finding the job and doing the resumes and whatnot, but it's about helping them overcome whatever's emotionally and mentally blocking them. So working on that kind of side of it to conquer mm-hmm. their, their dreams and desires. So it could be in career, it could be in relationship, it could be with their family, it could be health. I don't necessarily work specifically in one area that focuses on all the finer details in that. I really work on the emotional mental side of things that are often not addressed in a lot of these like programs for these different things or coaching. So one-on-one, I work with them in a group setting. I have a, actually I just launched in uh, November 1st, the beginning of this month called Sacred Space. Yeah, women can come in and it's a month-to-month subscription and be a part of a community no larger than 50 of other women doing this work together. And so not only learning from one another and giving to one another and supporting one another, but being in a space where you're loved and accepted just as you are and you're supported. And wherever you are on the journey or path, whatever you're going through, we're there to provide support for you, you know, and tools and love you. And so that's another way where people can really engage. And that's an invite only because, and the reason why I say that is that I want to make sure someone's a really good fit for the space because it is really sacred and very safe. So people have to connect with me and I need to make sure they're a good fit to invite them into the space or members of the community can also invite people into the space that they know would be a good fit. And then the last way to like really work with me is, and and I'm, I'm kind of, what I want to say, I'm not going to be doing as many of these, but I've been doing these little book clubs to dive deeper into a book. So for example, right now I have a four agreements book club running and we just, Oh, dive sweet. Yeah. yeah. And I, I add a lot of additional activities from other modalities that I've been trained on or that I use into the mix. Cause I don't want people just to obtain the information. I want them to absorb and use it and start practicing it. Right. And so often these books, they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal in terms of giving us information. And same thing with like these documentaries. I used to watch, I still do, I'm guilty of it, watch a ton of documentaries. You know, we we think about it for maybe 72 hours if we're lucky. And then it's like, it's gone. It's forgotten. We we do nothing with it. And I thought there's got to be a way to do something with it and help people to start a practice and be accountable. So I have these kind of quasi book clubs. I mean, I use a book to kind of 
walk through some of the work. So that's how people can really work with me. You know, that's funny what you're saying. It, it reminds me of I'm working on creating a social emotional learning curriculum for kids through soul mm-hmm. stories. And I was talking to a teacher and the teacher was like, I was asking her what problems exist within the social emotional space. And she was like, well, in no other subject do we expect a kid to read a book and then completely understand how to practice it. She's like, they have these great curriculums where people talk about emotions, but there's no practice to them. There's no worksheets to them. And it's like, it's like, let's give you an algebra book. And then at the end of this, you better know how to do algebra. Yep. Yep. It'd be like asking a doctor to just read about how to do surgery without any practicum. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, totally. We're, but we're, we have a society of that. Read this book and you'll, you'll do everything. Yeah. You know, you'll be everything. You'll be able to do it. No, you have to, you have to practice it and practice it. And sometimes when you're reading the book, you don't always know how to practice it. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have someone one to support you and also to have a community to hold you accountable, you know, to do the work. Yeah, I think so. that's so important to have people around you. Do you find common themes that people are trying to work through in your coaching? Like in terms of like career, health, relationship? Just like you were talking kind of like the mental and emotional blocks people experience. I mean, the biggest common thing I would say, I don't know, maybe it's a theme, is reprogramming how you were conditioned and patterned and uh, and not necessarily how but the way you were conditioned or patterned in your childhood because most of us don't even realize we have subconscious beliefs and programs that are running how we show up in the world what we think how we feel how we act how we behave and really what our reality is because of our own personality and so realizing that that formed in childhood the majority of it and what's beautiful is the mind is neuroplastic, so you can reprogram it. And part of that reprogramming process is to identify, you know, where it started, what's the root of this? What did you make, what was the situation that was going on? What did you make it mean? And if there's an emotion attached to it, learning how to move through the emotion that you never expressed as a child, because for, you were probably shamed for having that emotion, so you never felt it. So getting it out of the body and then if there was something that you needed at that time, making sure you get that need met and then reprogramming it. Mm. Start creating, because the things that happen, happen. So for example, right. I use my life. My parents got divorced when I was two. I made it mean lots of different things. I made it mean that it was my fault. I made it mean because my mom would be asking my dad for things that she needed and my dad couldn't give it to her. And I thought that's why my dad left. And so I thought, well, I can't ask for what I need because people will leave. So I created a pattern of being independent and self-sufficient, which is great, right? right? But at two years old, I still had needs. And even today, for me, what it turned into is being burned out time and time again until I realized, oh my God, I have to... Like, I have to dig deeper into this burnout. Why does it keep happening? It's because I have this old program that I can't really ask for what I, for help or support. I have to do life on my own or people will leave me. So learning how to reprogram that. When you're talking about burnout, are you talking about like just taking on the responsibility of people's emotions and like over working at your career or what are you doing to compensate for those emotions? So a lot of things that I used to do was I would definitely, I wouldn't say 
I took on other people's emotions. Sometimes I did. I felt responsible for how people felt and I took things personally, but I also just, I took on everything. So I didn't uh. ask like, Oh, I, you know, I'll work 60 to 80 hours a week because especially cause I worked my previous job was in nonprofits. So resources are very small and the expectations are really high. And so I would work, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80, sometimes a hundred hours in a week and take on the world Christ. and That's not so ask for help, you know, yeah. not ask for help. And so, and I would succeed though. I would, you know, meet the goal. You're I would rewarded. Get, I was rewarded, um, you know, constantly, but I would get to the point where I hated what I was doing. You know, and I yeah. used to love what I was doing. So why now? And, and realizing, and so then I thought, okay, it's the job, you know, so I would leave the job and start a new one and the same cycle would repeat. And that's when I finally said, oh goodness, what is going on here? I have to look at this burnout. Yeah. And there's something surface and understand why does this pattern continue to happen? What beliefs do I have? But I didn't have those tools till I started diving into this work and understanding the mind and how it worked in that, oh, wait, I was programmed. I mean, and I created programs in my childhood that are still operating today. Because when you come into this world, we don't know how the world works and how we're going to survive. Mm -hmm. And so we start to just absorb everything. What's going on? And we make meaning to what is happening. Yeah. You know, and until we realize we made like there's what happened, which is the fact and the story that we created around it. What did we make it mean? And realizing we have the power to change that story. The facts like I can't change that my parents got divorced. I can't say, well, they never got divorced. No, they got divorced. But it doesn't have to mean what I made it mean. But at two years old, I didn't have the tools or the knowledge to know what it meant. Yeah. And what was your narrative specifically? My biggest one was blaming myself and my other one was around abandonment, mm. feeling abandoned, you know? So, and having, and going, okay, I need to hold everything together. When you talk about taking on other people's emotions, I took on my mother's emotions because she went through so much when my dad left that at two, I didn't know what to do. So I became the, the emotional I don't know how to, what, what word I would use. Like I carried anchor, the weight of the emotion rock. rock anchor for the family. Yeah. So, I mean, I can still remember to this day, many times my mother would come to me and wanting to have a conversation, say with my older sister, my younger sister. And she would say, you know, Carrie, can you have that conversation? You're just so much better at having these conversations than I am. And of course you want to please mom. So, right. okay, I'll have the conversation until eventually I was like, why am I in this role? How did right. I ever get to this role? Does yeah. That sense? Yeah, totally. You're like, I have a similar experience. It's funny. I don't think I've really connected this, even though we've had a ton of conversations together, my own abandonment issues and having to, you know, my mom was very depressed growing up. And so my role was always like, you know, she put me in terms of like her special little boy. So I was always like there to make her feel better or at least that's how I perceive it now and how I've had to work through it. And like, I took on the weight of her emotions and it was never good enough for her just because she was dealing with so much that a little kid can't figure out. And so I, I often blamed myself for not being able to support her when I was like so little and didn't have any of the skills. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and know that your mom is in the same position we are in now. Yes. They're the best because they also have their, all their programming, you know, and trauma and things that happened and what they made that mean. And if they don't have the awareness of this and if they don't have the tools, they're just going to keep operating the same way. Right. It keeps mm-hmm. the cycle going. Yep. Yep. So that's like my big passion is to help people come or have that realization, right? And get, gain this awareness and gain this tools so they can come back into what I call alignment with themselves. Because we're so out of alignment with ourselves, with our true essence. And we're so out of alignment with the earth, you know, and with each other and with food and with animals. And I mean, just, so it's like teaching people how to come back to alignment. It's such a, it's a healthier place to be, but you wow. have to learn the skills. Why do you think it's so easy to not be aligned with yourself? I can think of a million ways I could be self-destructive or I could like not live a healthy life. It's almost like personally, I, I have like this attraction to it, you know, like I'm like, I don't want to be in touch with myself. I want to move outside of myself and do a hundred different things that I can, you know. I think the biggest thing that in terms of the work I do is we don't want to accept our shadow because it feels shameful. Like we shamed parts of ourselves and we stuffed them and we feel like we have to look at them. Then we have to accept that we are X, Y, and Z. We're bad, but we're not bad. Like for example, there are moments when I I couldn't accept a shadow aspect of myself of crazy. Um, And if anyone ever said to me, you're crazy, I'd be like, it really triggered me. And like, I'm not crazy, (laughs) you know, but there are times in my life that I'm crazy. And that doesn't mean I'm less than, it just means I'm human. And so until we start to, you know, dive in and, and, and want to do the work to accept ourselves as a whole being, all aspects of ourselves, it's really, really scary. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why people don't want to necessarily dive in and do this work. Um, because it feels scary. It feels uncomfortable because at one point in our lives, I don't know the science on this necessarily, but I'm going to say that at least the first year and a half of your life, it was comfortable to have emotions because that's how you communicated. You didn't have words yet. So you had to communicate through different emotional sounds. And then there was a point where your emotions were shamed. So you stopped having them. And so feeling those emotions feel very uncomfortable because you haven't felt them in a long time. And there is now a connection to a judgment about them. Interesting. Even last night I was helping a client out um, and she was letting go of an old pattern and a belief and setting boundaries with a family member. It was really tough for her because she's always played the people pleaser hero role. And so helping her to step out and she's like crying. Why am I? And she said, why am I crying? I go, you're grieving. You're letting go of an old identity. It's uncomfortable because yeah. you probably don't do this a lot. But on the other side of it is power. You're taking your power back and you're going to have more clarity. You're going to feel stronger. But right now it's very uncomfortable. So be, you know, give yourself love and give yourself grace for how you're feeling as you move through this. Yeah, it makes me think, and I've had this experience too, where when I'm moving through something that isn't like a pattern or a habit that's not healthy for me, it feels like a part of myself is dying almost. It and is. Yeah, and I, and I love that aspect. I didn't love that aspect of myself, but I was comfortable with that aspect of myself. And it's like, if I lose that, who am I, what am I going to become? 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it's kind of like these little mini ego deaths because we have these identities that we operate in and we know if we're in that identity, we know how to navigate through the world we're familiar, even if that identity is not always healthy. So this is why you hear like about prisoners that recommit a crime to go back into prison because prison's familiar to them. They can know how to operate safely in their idea of safely in that space. And in the real world, it feels freaking scary to them. So the same thing is when you start letting go parts of yourself, it is scary because what part are you stepping into? And it's not familiar anymore. But the more you dive into the new aspect of yourself that you want to step into, the behavior, the personality you want to be, it will become familiar. It's just like anything in life. I became a better public speaker by doing Toastmasters and by practicing over and over and over and becoming more comfortable with it. What do you think pushes people to embrace a new part of themselves versus like seeing that and running away and just living with what they were previously comfortable with? I think there's two things in my experience. There might be more, but from my experience, one is um, when people hit a rock bottom. It's like a breaking point of like something has to shift. And so they're going to face themselves and do the work. Or as Joseph Campbell would talk about face the dragon in the you know, dark night of the soul. And the dragon is usually yourself, by the way. <laughs> I think as you do this work, this is the second thing about what it takes to do this work or when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. As you do this work, you want to keep, and you start seeing the results and you start feeling differently. You want to do it. Like anytime I'm triggered, I'm going to say 95% of the time I'm triggered. It's still 5% probably. I don't care to be triggered in that way. But <laughs> yeah. 95% of the time that I'm triggered, I'm like, oh, yes, something to heal, something to work on, something to shift. It's an, it's an opportunity to up level. Does that make sense? So now I oh, get yeah, excited totally. about it, you know, but I've had enough moments of times that I've worked through the discomfort of it and sometimes the pain of it to see the results on the other side are way better that I'm like, okay, let's dive in. Let's do this. Yeah. It makes me think of at work recently, I've really gained my voice in terms of speaking up to my bosses when something they're doing is negatively affecting people I'm supervising and they don't pay attention to it because they're super busy. And I've had this experience of like, I feel triggered. I feel kind of like terror almost. Like I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, is this going to cost me uh, a future promotion? Is this going to look bad? A hundred different consequences I can think of. And then each time my boss has been receptive and it's led to changes. And so now before I'm like, oh, this feels awful, but I know that my boss is open and I know that the results are positive. So then I push myself to take that step. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And that's with anything. Think about when you were learning to walk. Right. I mean, you were terrible at it at first. You fell over all the time. But the more you kept at it, you did it. And you got better at it. And now look at you. You're a great walker. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I just like stand a, up right now and just fall over as we're doing this podcast. But the point being is, it's not like you don't see these little kids going, oh, walking's not for me because they fall over all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, keep walking. I yeah. almost wish there were adults who just crawled because they just <laughs> never figured out how to walk. 
<laughs> I was like, we could make a, a night of that where we have to just fall everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. I have too many images just came into my mind. <laughs> oh, I love those fun moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I am privileged to know a lot about you and your story. And I think something interesting is, I think it's an inspiring thing is you're somebody who's, how long have you been doing this work now? I think the pinnacle moment was in 2006. So I'd say since 2006. Okay. And you're somebody who has, you know, been working at this for a while. And I know you've just encountered an experience with a relationship and when I heard about this, it was surprising to hear that you encountered it because of all the work you have done. But it, to me, this experience also is like the most humanizing aspect. And I'm curious if you could take us through that. So um, I was in a, a very committed relationship with a, a guy. Um, I would say committed in terms of we weren't married per se, but we had committed to living together. We actually committed to having a child together. We actually had a commitment ceremony to conceive a child and be parents together. It was this really beautiful experience and committing to building a life for as long as we were on the journey together. And that for me, that doesn't always translate to until death do us part until you know we may grow apart and however that shows up and I was in the understanding because of the conversations that we had that he was in the same commitment as I was I mean we had talked about it many times and so we lived together this this space that I'm in now was our apartment and whatnot but a little over almost a year and a half ago now I found out that he had another whole relationship and that relationship, so I was really the other woman because that relationship had been going on for 10 years. And they also lived together, which was mind-blowing. But if, yeah, when so I look back now, I <laughs> go, um, wow, it's really interesting how he, how he navigated through that to make that happen between two of us. So I would say that when I found out it was devastating, not only for my own heart, but as someone who does this work going, how could this happen to me? Right. Totally. Right. I think that was really, and I did have those thoughts and I did judge myself. I took it very personally. My self-esteem for sure went down because I thought, how can I be a coach in this area of work in terms of personal development and not even know this happened <laughs> and for this to to have attracted this into my life. But I look back now almost a year and a half and it's, I can say it's definitely a blessing. Like I'm so grateful I went through that experience, both the two years that we were together and the, the last year and a half of like healing and navigating it. I needed to go through everything I went through in order to up-level and expand to the next version of myself. Yeah. Does that make well, sense? Yeah. And I, I'm curious, just how long are you with him? We were together for two years. And for two years, and for the, those two years, he had already been with this family. He had already had another family for eight years prior to that. Yep. Yep. He had an, it wasn't quite a family. It was, it was a, I mean, he had been married previously and had, had three kids, but this, this with, he was with another woman. Yep. For eight years prior to me. 
how did he get away with that? Like, <laughs> how did he, how did he pull that off? Cause that is yeah. so in, insane to me. It's interesting because being manipulated and gaslighted in that way, it's really interesting how people show up and they can feel very authentic. So, I mean, he does have a job that requires him to work evenings and weekends and kind of all over the place. And there were a lot of stories that he weaved through like, oh, I need to go help my parents. And his parents, you know, live like an hour or so away. So I need, I'm going to be there tonight. I need to help my dad fix something, you know, in the house or my daughter needs support with a paper she's writing. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, oh, I have to work tonight. He works for an oil and gas company. So sometimes it was like, oh, I need to go to the platform for 15 days, which is very normal. These are all normal yeah, things. Those are, yeah. So, and later realizing, oh, those 15 days you were away, you were actually in Argentina with this other woman. Oh my God. You she, know, like she lived like in Argentina? No, she lives here in Rio as well. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Her and I met twice. She had no idea about me. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, he just weaved stories and he played off of things that were both important to us. You know, what do you mean? Could, I just think the way that he, like, for me, for example, my love language, my primary love language is quality time and physical touch. So he was really good at making sure that every week he gave me quality time to make sure my, my cup was full. But then, you know, he could use that to his advantage and then navigate. I didn't need him here for seven days a week. I got my quality time with him. And then it was like, oh, I don't need, you know, I'm good. You don't need to hang out here anymore, yeah. basically. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So it was really interesting just like how his mind worked. And, you know, looking back now, realizing some of the things he did because of the traumas he had in his childhood because of who I am. I really want to get to know people on a deeper level and understand them. Now I will say this. I can't say everything that he told me was true because I don't know what was true. Right. It's hard to know at this point. Yep. But there was a lot that I felt like, for example, our refrigerator always had to be packed. I mean, I'm talking like almost hoarding packed with food. And I would get curious with him because I'm, that's not um, a habit of mine to do. And so I you know, just wanted to know a little bit more about why he had this, this need and this behavior. You know, and he would share how as a child he would starve because his father would take off for days, sometimes weeks on end, and his mother was too proud to go back to her family to ask for support. And they had, it was him and his two brothers. And so they would run out of food and he would eat for days. So he had this little, like, I need to have food all the time. Like we got to have plenty of food, mm-hmm. even if we're not going to eat it all. And that refrigerator had to be packed. So I knew there was, there, some of that was true. Some of those traumas and essence, he was acting from his place of trauma. Yeah. You know, he was living his life out of his trauma as do us all really. Yeah. So that's how he could like, he figured out what he needed to do to navigate through the system. And I think in essence, we all do this. We all gaslight. We all manipulate on some level. We have to be conscious of it and realize, Ooh, I'm gaslighting right now. Oh, I'm trying to, I mean, I manipulated my mom as a child many times to get the things I wanted. Yeah. I think, I think manipulation is an interesting aspect of ourselves because I am on your wavelength where I don't think people don't manipulate. Like I think people do it in like subtle ways of, you know, whether it's helping a friend feel better by like withholding truth. 
I think the withholding of information is a constant thing we all deal with, even if we are in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think about like the work I used to do in nonprofits and fundraising events and, you know, creating an experience for people to give money. It doesn't seem like a, a, a negative way to manipulate, but we manipulate right. based on, okay, we're going to create and we want you to feel an emotion. So I'm going to take you through this experience to get you to make a donation. And yeah. we got manipulated every single day with advertisements and social media. And, right. But it's about having conscious awareness of what's happening and then for you to empower yourself to make a decision that's true for you, not what's true for another. And knowing what manipulation has negative consequences and having empathy to know that if I'm doing this, is this going to be hurting people? Is this going to be hurting myself? It's going to be hurting relationships. On that note, do you think he has empathy? The guy you dated? I think he has empathy. It was interesting because um, I was actually just talking to my mom the other day because we were just chatting about this process of moving through emotions in healthy ways. And I was sharing with her when my mom was here, my dog had an accident and they had to come and I was in tears, you know, over my dog um, having this accident. And my mom and the vet were like, oh, it's going to be okay. Stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. And he actually put his head on my forehead, I remember. And he just said, keep crying, just get it all out. And the reason, and he would never have done that when we first dated, but I, one of the things about dating me, and I told him, I'm like, this is who I am. And what I'm going to ask you to do is when I have an emotion, to ask you to hold space. And if you can't, that's fine, but don't judge me and don't ask me to not have my feelings. And so he learned and he would say, okay, how do I navigate through holding space for somebody? So he learned how to hold space for my emotions in a way, you know, that really supported me. And I think, as you know, when you really feel into an emotion and allow it to just move through you in like 90 seconds to three minutes, and then yes. on the other side of it, you come back down and you have clarity and you can discuss whatever's happening with you. So I think when I think about that, I mean, he does have a lot of empathy. And I did see uh, like how much he loved my dog, even though he's allergic to dogs. How much passion he has for change in the world, how much passion he has for the environment, for, you know, for women's rights. So I do think he has empathy, but I think his main driver was, you know, his dealing with his own traumas yeah. and not knowing how to deal with them, not having the awareness in this pattern operating from a place that was really unconscious. And recreating it in the world. Yep. Well, I think about having, you know, multiple partners who don't know each other and also stuffing the fridge. And like, I, I wonder, and this is just like couch psychologist of like having more, essentially he has more resources with multiple relationships too. And I wonder how that plays into it. You know, that's very true because I think we have this idea that the relationship we're in is going to provide all of our needs, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to meet all of our needs. That actually isn't true. You know, no. it doesn't meet all. And this is why you're starting to see even just sexual needs 
are not being can be met can sometimes be met with a partner but if they're not you're starting to see more couples have a more open relationship because they're getting their needs met from another place and so i mean it, it, as you say that it was interesting i didn't think about this but he had to learn because here in brazil oftentimes you are not friends when you're in a relationship you're not quite friends with the opposite sex and for sure not an ex-boyfriend um, which I can't say is common in the United States that you're friends with ex-boyfriends. Maybe you are, but it's not maybe as common as having like you and I are friends, right? Mm-hmm. So he had to learn that, oh, wait, I'm daring this. Apparently, I'm the first foreigner he ever dated that I don't operate the same way. I don't have the same belief system or values as a Brazilian does. And there's nothing wrong, I'm going to say, with the values that Brazilians have, but mine are just different. I grew up in a very different culture. And so he had to learn that I have one male friends and he had to become comfortable with that. And that wasn't easy for him. But again, I had said, if you're going to be in this relationship, I'm not going to change who I am. You need to accept who I am, just like I'm going to accept who you are. Right. So he had to learn to become comfortable with that. And that was a great challenge for him. But also one of my exes, you know, it didn't work out in our relationship, but we, we had a strong friendship. We were better friends than lovers. And I still to this day am friends with him, my ex. And he had to learn how to navigate that and get really comfortable with that because it's so foreign here in Brazil yeah, to, to, you know, to have a relationship with your ex. I want to take a moment and pause to thank all of our patrons for their financial contributions and monthly donations. It goes a long way to bringing this podcast to you in a high quality format, as well as supporting the volunteers at Soul Stories. If you want to become a patron, it's as easy as $2 a month You get bonus content and the link is in the bio. Now let's return to our conversation. That's really interesting that you're dealing with cultural differences too. Yeah. And what's interesting is that ex of mine is someone I can go really deep and have deep conversations with. And he understands that a lot more where my current ex, that was more of a struggle and it wasn't, it, it was important to him, but it wasn't a priority to him. So getting your needs met from other places is totally, you know, is actually very healthy. Imagine putting the weight of all your needs on the other person. It feels impossible. You feel like you're just being set up for disappointment. I got to say, I used to be a believer of that because that was what was, that was how I was raised that your partner is everything to you. They're going to do right. everything for you and vice versa, but you're just setting yourself up for a failure. Yeah. I've personally been thinking about that too in I kind of think, at least in the U.S., it's a symptom of our isolation, our like further isolation is like being like this one person is going to complete my life. So I don't need friends or community like I did when I was younger. Um, I just need to come home and have this relationship and hang out with this person 24-7. And I think that's just us driving deeper into isolation and away from community, mm-hmm. at least here. I agree. I mean, here they have a very much a culture of it. The couple is everything together. This is it's interesting when you start dating. Some of the first things you're asked are, what are the things you like to do? Which, okay, that's kind of a normal question. But the reason why they ask it here, because they'll say, okay, good, we have things in common. Or we don't have enough things in common. Okay, moving on. Um, it's always like, why do like, it's good to have some things in common, but why do we have to have everything in common? Well, cause we're going to do everything together. We're always going to be together. And for me, I remember actually the first Brazilian guy I dated, 
I once said, I need some me time. And he, and literally he said, what did I do wrong? (laughs) You you did nothing wrong. I just need some space for myself. That's it. I just want to like make a cup of tea and get a book and read. And he, we literally had to Google me time for, to show him that in the U S culture, we have this concept of me time. And it wasn't about him because they're always together here. So it's also like you got to navigate sometimes through different cultures and, and what they make these things mean about themselves. Do you find a greater sense of community in Brazil or is that like a pipe dream I have? Um, I would say the opposite. I've actually really struggled to find a, a community here. Toastmasters has been one of the closest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think partly because of the way Toastmasters is framed, it's a safe space to practice something and get feedback and give feedback. And we just accept each other without any judgment. So it creates this beautiful community and safe space and dynamic. It's something actually I've had many conversations with friends over the last couple of months, both Brazilians and foreigners that live here about the struggle to create community. I'm curious though, if it's not necessarily Brazil or if it's the fact that I'm here as a foreigner, almost as an That's what I was gonna wonder too. So I can't say it's necessarily that, though I have a couple of Brazilian friends that said they haven't had community since they were in school. Oh, that's really sad. So they don't, because again, you get married and your family is everything. You yeah. live with the family. You take, you know, when your parents get older, they live with you. Or like in the United States, they tend to go to a nursing home, retirement community, et cetera. Even here in Brazil, you don't leave the household until you're married. Yeah. Can you talk about the sex motels or hotels? <laughs> I think those are amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've actually never been to one because I've never had to go to one. But they have all these motels that you can rent by the hour to go and have sex because you live with your family so much until you get married. Where do you go to have sex? Where do you have intercourse or intimacy um, and explore one another physically? And you can't do it on the street, obviously. Uh, So (laughs) they have these motels you can go to and you can apparently rent them by the hour and they range from very cheap to very high-end luxury with everything. And, and so I, I even have friends um, in the south part of Brazil. They're married and they go to it because their children live with them. And yeah. they don't have intercourse at the, in the room right next to their children. So they'll have grandma and grandpa come over and they'll go out for a nice dinner and go to the motel for a couple hours and then come at home. So it's very normal here. Wow. Are they everywhere yeah. then? They have to be, right? They're everywhere. Yeah, everywhere throughout the country. Dang, it's like that Starbucks. I know of. I should say that I know of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and they're common and they're not seen as, um, there's not a negative connotation about it. It's just very normal that people do that. And it's very interesting when I came here because I thought, wow, this is a really Catholic country. So it's interesting that they have this, especially the sex before marriage, but it's a very sexual country and culture. I believe it. When I was in Brazil, I was amazed. You know, over here, I would be told I'm like, I I mean, not always, but warm and, you know, kind and et cetera, et cetera. And I remember going to Brazil and this girl I was talking to was just like, you are so cold. And I was like blown away (laughs) by that. But then like everybody around me was like touching each other and hugging. Mm -hmm. And it was like this beautiful loving experience i I was just 
I was amazed by the difference. Well, this is probably why I was called to be here because my, as I said, my primary love language is my first one being quality time and the second one physical touch. I mean, they really do give you quality time here. You know, they're very present when they're with you. And of course, there's lots of touch, lots of touch. I mean, not as much you would be surprised if you remember walking down the street and how people would just bump into one another as you mm-hmm. walk down the sidewalk. It doesn't happen right now during the pandemic. <laughs> people are clearly <laughs> keeping, keeping distant, which is kind of foreign for a Brazilian. But I was about to say they might have bigger culture shock with COVID than we would. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I don't know exactly what's happening out there on the street and what's happening when it comes to people hooking up and whatnot, but um, there's been some definitely shifts and changes for them due to the, this pandemic. Dang, that makes they, me so sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine how hard that is for them when they, that's how they express and show love and connect with one another. And it's way more apparent here than it is in the United States. And they can't do that. Yeah, totally. It's so hard for them. Mm-hmm. I want to bring us back to after you had that experience about a year and a half ago, what was the healing process for you? What did you find out about yourself? Um, those are some great questions. So, you know, this is one of the first times and maybe because of where I was and where I am when it comes to personal growth, but I actually took some time and passed when I broke up with in, in or ended a relationship. And I know this was a deeper kind of breakup than I've ever had. But oftentimes I just shoved it and moved on, you know, like just threw myself into the next project. And uh, I didn't always move on to another guy so quickly. Sometimes I did, but oftentimes I didn't. It might have been a year or two years before I really dated again. But usually I just like full steam ahead, didn't process the breakup. Um, It's in the past, so be it. But this time I decided, no, I really need to process this. So I took a lot of time for myself. Actually, I didn't work as much and I actually couldn't work as much because I started my coaching business. I officially launched my coaching business at the start of that relationship. So anything that happened during that relationship or I started during that relationship, I wasn't sure what was true and what was not because when you're heavily gaslighted and manipulated in that way, you just lose all sense of like, like what the heck is true? Right. I, I don't know what's true. So I had to ground myself in things that were true. So for instance, I had started Toastmasters prior to that relationship. So I could remember Toastmasters was true. I could remember that. I did some work in my old industry and in nonprofits because I knew that was true. I needed to come back and find myself again, those parts of myself again. But it was really challenging to coach because I was like, was that even true? Could I really be a coach? Did I really actually coach? Like it really wow. kind of screws with your mind. Yep. That was one thing that I definitely did was take some time. A big takeaway for me was I thought I was trusting myself even during the relationship. And I thought I was listening to myself intuitively. And when you asked the question about like, how can someone do all this personal development work and then this thing happened to them? Well, here I was teaching about trusting yourself. I have this whole thing called trust yourself experience. And yet I just had a big flop at it. Right. And so realizing that I had to recommit to trusting myself and knowing and distinguishing between what was fear and what was wisdom. That was my issue as I wasn't distinguishing between the two. 
and knowing what's true for me. I know you know the philosophies from the conscious leadership work around what's fact and what's story. So uh-huh. anytime during the two years relationship that I questioned something, I said, oh, I have a story right now. And I know one of my patterns is I don't always trust in relationships. And when I can get very anxious and just and get so anxious that I leave the relationship because yeah. I can't deal with it. I almost kind of turned into an avoidant. I want to leave the relationship, but I didn't want to do that this time. I didn't want to up and leave. I wanted to like, okay, let's examine the story. So I would examine the story. And then I'd say, wow, this is what the story I'm creating. Then I would share that story with him. This is the story I'm creating. And then he would show me the facts and realize that, okay, it's just a story I created. It's actually nothing. So I started to lose my intuition. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. He only showed me a piece instead of the full. So I got to see this and had enough facts. But if I saw the full story, there would have been much different. At those moments, did you feel like you had the intuition, something was wrong, and then you just ignored it? Yeah, I thought it was me recreating an old old pattern or story out of fear. Yeah. Really, it was wisdom coming through to me. And in essence, that's how I found out in the end. Something didn't feel right. I could feel it in my body. And it was like the universe was signaling me because I had two client calls that day and in those client calls there were like little pings that I got and I was like it just hit me with something they said and I thought is someone speaking to me and then I kind of really sat with it and I had actually asked him I said I, I want to take a couple of days off I just need I'm, I'm something's not sitting with me well and I just want the space because I didn't want to react to something and have another whole story and I thought and he goes okay fine I'll, I'm gonna go hang out with my parents So I was like, all right, cool. And then something just said to me that night, go look at his bedstand, like his table next to the little table next to his side of the bed. And I was like, huh? And and the the voice again, look at the nightstand basically. So I went over there and there was a stack of just like papers on his nightstand and on the top, a bank document for a piece of property. And it was her name. And it was so, and then it was interesting because I thought, oh, is this a story I'm creating? And so I asked him, I messaged him and said, what is this about? I just found this. And he's like, oh, she's like a former colleague of mine, an old girlfriend. I'm helping her out with something. And something said, that's not true. Something within me said, that's not true. And it said, call her. So I just, there was a number on the form and I just called her. And then everything exploded. Dang. So what do you think made... What was different about that moment? Why did this intuition, I'm imagining that that kind of moment had happened before because that's kind of how you explained it. But what, what made this moment different where your intuition like overrode your, your narrative? I think because in those two years, I was still doing my own work, still unpacking things, still looking at things that were triggering me and trying to shift them or heal them or get curious about what they were really about. So I was doing the work. And I, like I said, that morning when I woke up, I go, this, something is just not right. And I, and I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I just feel something is not right. And I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. And it was just like, that, that, was, that was it. Like, it was enough for my intuition or, or for something you want to say universe or spirits or whoever just gave me the will to like, there it is. I wonder if it was almost like you were finally ready for that moment. Like I the think work. part of it, 
part of it was, you, you know, there's a point where you do need to be ready, you know, as much as it was, as probably the most painful experience I went through healing from that betrayal. And when I was in the middle of it, I remember saying, I don't want to be here, not necessarily here on the planet, but I don't want to be in this pain. It's like so intense. Yeah. But it was, it was pulling up all my stuff that I was ready to handle it. Even though I might not have felt ready, I was ready because now I'm so grateful I went through it and have been able to learn so much. One about myself, about trusting myself, what my intuition really feels like, what wisdom feels like. And as I put myself back out there, even to date or navigating through other situations, I'll just feel something. And I'm, I don't need to explain why it's not right. It's just a no, it's not a yes for me. Where before my mind would go, well, let's really think about that. And now I'm just like, it's just a no. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, it's a yes too, which is great. And I don't need to think about it. So, yeah. I think it's incredible. I think it's so inspiring because in some way it just lets us know, the listeners lets me know that no matter what we're doing to improve or to grow, we can still have an experience where we just, you know, get hit in the backside of the head and that we can't predict, we can't control. And, you know, I think a lot of us who do this kind of work or who are interested in being our best selves are like, well, that won't happen to me. I, I'm reflecting. I journal every morning. I meditate at night. I, I, I read all the books, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, what I take away is like, we just don't have that much control and we can only really do something with what happens to us and what our circumstances are. And you are such a shining example of like, this crazy fucking thing happened and you really made it into fertilizer for yourself. Yeah. And I really think that these things that do happen are testing us to see, you know, are we ready and, or they're pushing us to grow and expand. I'm just a believer. And this is kind of a new thought pattern. New belief is like everything that happens to us. It's not to us. It's for us. You know, you look at Michael Beckwith has this, it's called, uh, I think, the stages of spiritual growth and development. I reframe them as the lenses of growth and expansion. So it can be his art, to you, by you, through you, as you. I added a for you in the middle there because I personally got caught in the trap of things are happening to me, I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. Things are happening by me, I'm in the driver's seat. But I often blamed myself. I victimized myself and I thought I can't do this, but I couldn't jump to through you. So I created a for you or everything's happening for me, for my greatest self and for my growth. We are born onto this planet to grow and expand just like a tree is, just like an animal is. And so we're constantly being pushed to grow, to grow, to grow. Now, or we're being invited as Joseph Campbell would say, are you going to answer the call for the invite to growth? That's really up to you. That's the greatest thing that human beings have is free will yeah and i found in moments like there are lessons that i've learned this year specifically around intimacy that i knew i needed to learn five six seven eight years ago but i don't feel like i was strong enough i don't feel like i went through or had the skills to really address them till this year it makes me think of like there's timing to it. We can know everything we want to know about ourselves, but to be able to make the changes and accept the invitation to growth sometimes takes longer than we might want. 
Yep, and we have stages. So imagine you, if we came out of the womb and we were expected to walk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you gotta like learn how to roll over, pick your head up, you know, like all these steps or stages to get to that walking mm-hmm. phase. Does that make sense? I love using the walking analogy. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, like, I just feel so much pressure now. I feel like when I stand up, I'm gonna fall over. <laughs> and you know what? It's gonna be okay if you fall over. You Will it carry it in? Will yeah. it be okay? Okay, I won't judge myself if I try. Part of life is to fail. And then this is a big lesson for me actually in the last couple of weeks is really accepting my failure. So I haven't been doing that. I've been like not wanting to accept it. And I've made my failure be connected to my self-worth. Yeah, it's easy to do that. Yeah, we wouldn't tell a child, oh my God, you're terrible. You're a horrible human being because you can't walk because you can't figure out how to walk. But for some reason, I had that stuck in my head. Yeah. (laughs) Until Until I could re... I'm still in the process of reprogramming it. Yep. Yeah, that that reminds me of um, sometimes like we can know things, but it's hard to feel like we could say all day, oh, this happened and I accept it. But do you register that emotionally? Does your nervous system register that failure? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do we move from self-knowledge in the head to like self-knowledge in the heart and the body? That's a great question. There's two things around that I use to do that is one is to, to try to embody it. So to feel it, what might it feel like to feel it? And you get to choose too about like, when I think about what I've been working on the last couple of days is loving my failure and really like, what would it mean to love my failure? What would that look like? Just starting to imagine what it looked like and start feeling it in the body, but then also integrating it into my life. So talking about it like I am now, this is probably one of the first times I'm talking about it to a public audience because I'm one, I'm starting to own it, you know, um, and integrating it more into my mind and into my body as I talk about it. Yeah, as I sit here and talk about it with you, I do feel a little bit of nervousness, but I also feel a more mm. of an opening in my heart because I'm finally accepting it. And that's part of accepting myself. It's going back to that, that conversation earlier where I talked about we have to accept all aspects of ourselves to be whole and to come back into alignment. For so long, I've denied this, like you can't be a failure because if you fail, in my mind, the belief was if you fail, you're abandoned, you're wrong, you're less than. Yeah. Because in my childhood, that's the programming I got. You make those associations. Yep. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling, you know, I appreciate you being vulnerable and really open with all of this. This is incredible for somebody to really own especially someone who's a healer and i personally the way i approach healers is if you can be honest about something like this so intense then i'm like oh sign me up like i'm so much more on board with somebody than somebody who's trying to sell me myself because i'm like we're all, we all have shit. We're all fucked up in some way. I have not met the perfect person. I'm in search of perfection all the time, but I haven't found it. Um, so anyways, I just want to, I think it's, I respect the shit out of you for doing this. Thank you. You know, what I have found was I like to just be able to be me. And if I'm going to help other women be authentic and be themselves, I have to do that as well. I can't pretend to be something I'm not. 
it's not easy because you I'm in an authority position. You know, people look up to me and they do expect like I have all my shit together. I don't have all my shit together. I'll just tell you right, right now. But I also want to be relatable. I want for yeah. you to know, we might not have the same background or situation, but I can feel your pain because I've been through pain as well. I can feel your joy because I've been through joy as well. I honestly think like that's how we're going to heal when we take the time to understand ourselves and understand others. When we start to fully accept and love ourselves just as who we are, all of our imperfections, then we're going to look at another and say, God, I love you too with all your imperfections. Yeah. I mean, I call myself a community builder and I couldn't tell you how many relationships I've burned and how many bridges I've burned because of my ego, because of judging somebody in, in my head being like, oh, that person's not doing the work or that person's not good enough or that person's coming from this place in my head of being like, I'm not good enough. I feel like shit about myself and then directly hurting people in the world because of the shit in my own self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. This is why I love the book, The Four Agreements, because it gives you some tools and understanding of one of yourself and of others. So even yesterday I had a conversation because I, as I said, I'm working through this failure piece of mine. I had a conversation with my stepfather, which is one of the memories of where this stems from. And he was so open to having it. And because I, I went into that conversation open to learning from him and listening. I learned so much about him that I had made assumptions about. And that was total, totally unfair on my part. Like he's doing more, you know, he's doing the work in a different way. Yeah. It's not one way to do the work. And not to say he cannot necessarily meet me where I'm at, but I, it was so eye-opening to see a different side of him. But I also held the space. I didn't start the conversation in terms of judging him. I created the frame and the space for us to have that conversation in a healthy way. And because of that, he shared more of himself that he's never shared in his life. Wow. That's so powerful and mm -hmm. so hard to do with like parental figures in your life. <sighs> really hard, really hard. But I don't think, you know... Even a year ago or two years ago, I could have had that conversation with him. I mean, he was a huge trigger for me, and I had to learn how to regulate the emotions, work on some of the triggers to be able to step into that conversation. Not to say that yesterday, and he didn't trigger me yesterday, but not to say that he might have triggered me. And I think I'm more prepared and ready to deal with those triggers. And, you know, we even talked about repairing our relationship to having a healthy relationship. How does that feel? It feels really good. You know, I mean, of course, I'm not going to hold on to the expectation because I don't know, you know, what, what, if he's going to do the work to have that relationship, you know, it's up to him. And I don't know, things shift in our lives. Like things happen, like this pandemic happens and somebody goes into a full state of fear. They show up very differently. And so that's where compassion and empathy can come in with a boundary. Yeah. You can understand, but you can still hold, this is what I need. And yeah, and respecting yourself. I think that's really difficult for people to do. Can you give me an example of what compassion looks like while still being firm with your boundaries? I think that's a great question. And I don't know if I've ever explained it, but let me see if I can navigate through it. Um, I think realizing what you need and realizing what you need 
is, is from a place of self-love. It's not necessarily from a place of selfishness in, in terms of like, I want this, I need this. So respecting what's important to you and you're responsible to keep yourself safe. So putting yourself in a situation, for example, where someone is physically or emotionally or verbally abusing you. And of course it depends on your situation. But for me, you know, if I'm in that situation, I can walk away mm-hmm. and then I can look at the person and, and not, let go of any judgment towards them. So in essence, when I think about forgiveness, forgiveness is not to me, oh, it's okay you did that. I'll let you back in. No, forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to judge you for this. You're human and you have your life experiences and you're probably showing up this way because of your pattern and conditioning, trauma, things that happened in your life. And so I understand you're human and I'm going to send you love and light, but I'm not going to interact with you. Yeah, you can let now, that person you, go. If you choose to show up in a different way, then there's a door. And I will, I will graciously unlock and open that door. But if you're going to not do that, then I'm going to keep that door shut. And that doesn't make me a bad person. Some people will say, you're bad, you're horrible, you're not. No, I'm not. And that's the hard thing because that's the manipulation and gaslighting. And I constantly see it. Like my sister told me I was horrible because I didn't go and do this for her, but I'm just, I'm exhausted. Okay. You're not, are you really horrible? No, you're not. You're exhausted. You're exhausted. You need to take care of yourself and fill your own tank right now. And so, you know, that's where people unconsciously, because we learn this learned behavior to gaslight, manipulate through saying you're horrible for not helping me out. I've done it. I've done it to people. And you know, and I, I have to, I have to, I have to forgive myself because I'm sometimes I'll be so desperate in the moment that I don't realize what's coming out of my mouth and head in again, just learn behavior until I realize, Oh, I have that behavior too. Okay. I can change that. It's going to take some time, but I can change it. And then I can also help others to change it by holding that boundary. That's the other thing. I'm doing a disservice to the world. If I keep just people, please. Yeah. And I think for, a lot of people, including myself at a time, I feel very proud of myself where I've come in terms of these kind of boundaries. But there was definitely a time where it was like, either you can do anything you want to me until I have enough and then I'm going to lash out at you and then you won't be able to do it ever again. As opposed to, I feel this way, like I feel hurt when you treat me this way and I can't personally be around it. And then setting that boundary, it doesn't have to lead to an explosion. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to lead to lashing out for me or resenting people. It can just be like, this is what I need. And as you mentioned, if this changes, if we're open to seeing sustainable change, we can have a relationship together. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I've had many friends that have, we've, our friendship has fallen apart and has come back together. And I've had many that have fallen apart and haven't. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, at first it was not okay for me. It was very uncomfortable. I was very upset. I, I, you know, made me feel insecure and then realizing, wait, why am I giving that power over to that situation? That's yeah. not the case. I'm really blown away by your philosophy with like just accepting things as they are. Things are happening for you. I really love that because it makes me think of the things still coming at you, like you can't control what's going to happen to it or how it comes, but we can move with the energy that comes towards us. 
Yep, um, yep, for sure. It takes, it, I'm still, trust me, I still get into the, oh my God, this has just happened to me. Mindset yeah, and totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm captain of what, like, what, fuck you, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and put on a different lens. There's a lot, and especially when we're triggered, because when we're triggered, that's usually when like the defense goes on, right? Big time and like, I'm a victim, I'm gonna push back and going, and you know, I, I definitely show up sometimes still that way and going, okay, wait a minute. Especially once I've regulated myself and my nervous system has come back down, I can go, hmm. And I do that, that kind of curiosity and wonder from a place of, again, love, because before I would be in the by me, like, oh my God, I did it again. Let me blame myself and I'm victimizing myself. Like, "Mm, let's get curious about this. This is where I can learn and grow and explore and expand. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious as, as we're starting to wrap up, if you have any kind of final words for our audience. God, there's a lot I can say. I just think that like each of us, I don't remember the statistic, you're 4 billion, trillion something, you know, in terms of your, your chance of being here, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever that statistic is, yeah, that yeah. the egg and the sperm will match up and you'll, you'll have a, a life, but it's a gift, even when it feels hard, right? It's such a gift. And when you look through the lens of from birth to death, you're growing. Sometimes you're physically growing, right? And then there's a point where you stop physically growing and you feel like you're descending because your (laughs) eyesight goes, your back starts to hurt, you have knee problems, but you're still growing and expanding, right? Especially if you look through the lens that you are, you don't get to a place. And I thought this as a child that I got to a place and I reached a certain place and everything was amazing. And that actually is not the case the whole process of life is actually amazing and we're just constantly growing and constantly hitting another peak and another peak. It's like when you're hiking in, in Colorado and there's all these, you know, 14ers getting to that next peak and the next peak. It's still, Mm. it's so amazing. It takes work to get there, right? Each time. The more you do it, the more you enjoy it and love it. So you know, practice looking through the lens of this is happening for my greatest good. And even though it doesn't feel that way, but the more that you look through that lens, then it will start to feel that way more and more. And you'll start to see how it's for your greatest good. My mother used to say when I was a child, she was actually a lot wiser. She still is, I think, a lot wiser than I would give her credit for. She used to say, how can you make this the best thing that ever happened? Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Every little thing that happened to me, she was like, how can you make this the best thing that ever happened? And sometimes I would be like, oh, okay. And other times I'd be like, what do you mean? This was horrible, mom. She was like, yeah. Just ponder that question. And so that's what I would say as we're going through everything right now, through the pandemic, through this terrible election cycle, through Black Lives Matter, and everything else, economic crisis, how can we make this the best thing that ever happened? Yeah. How do we grow from it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, this has been incredible. And where can people listening find you? I think the best place to find me, the easiest place to find me is my website because it's easier to, easy to remember. It's just my first name with the hyphen, com. Awesome. So simple. Yep. 
and it'll be in the description um you can also sorry find me on social media on facebook and instagram and i have if you're a woman and you want to join my community it's called in her power tribe in her power tribe that's awesome yeah yeah well, thank you so much for today. This has been an incredibly inspiring conversation. I expected no less. And yeah, you're, you're the best, Karen. Oh, thank you, Danny. I love having conversations with you and connecting with you. They're always fun. I could do this all day long. <laughs> yeah, we'd just be here for the next <laughs> five hours. We would be. All right. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode and supporting the podcast. I absolutely love this project. I want to thank you, the listener, our guests for sharing their incredible stories and Kamga Chasa, the magic maker, the producer of the Soul Stories podcast. If you want to support us, leave a rating and or review, share it with a family member or a friend. This is Danny signing off.